And hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Kewl Show. I am your host, as always, the inside of the insiders, Tyler Kewl. And yes, kids, it is another Monday midday show here on TKS across your favorite TKS networks, which means you're watching us on the Twitters, on the Facebooks, on the Insta... No, well, not really on the Instagrams. I mean, I could do that right now, but that's just a lot of data I'd be using right now. Um... Anyways, happy Monday to you all, September the 13th. We have us a packed show today, kids. We are talking about unrestricted free agents. We are talking about guys that need to sign, guys that have signed, and also, we'll be talking about Vladimir Tarasenko, and also coming up here in about an hour's time, Ken Cal, the longtime play-by-play voice of the Detroit Red Wings, will join us for technically the third, second time here on the QL Show he was a, if you guys remember, he was actually our first guest way back in the day, way back when, when he was actually, well, it was our first ever live show. If you guys remember that, we did it live. We didn't know what we were doing. Alex and I were just kind of kicking rocks and having a good time, and 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 it uh it worked out okay for the most part. I think. I mean, it, it could have been a lot worse from what I remember. I we we put up on the Kula Show Twitter the the old video. The first video that we did, one of the highlights when we talked about the 2008 final, and I remember when we were doing it with him, we're like, this could go really bad, because don't forget, guys, like I said, he was our first guest. We had never done a live show. We had tested intensively, and we were having like internet issues up until we went live that night, and I still remember what happened in it. My brother and I, Alex, was sitting there laughing at me. I, he started playing Panic at the Disco at one point because I was panicking so much. Like I, I wasn't quite to anxiety attack yet, but I was getting there. Thankfully, it went well. We had Ken on that show. I remember we had Jack Michaels on from the Edmonton Oilers. He was a great guy to chat with. And we also had Harrison Watt on, who Harrison did not think he should have gone on last. But, uh, you know, it's funny because I love Harrison to death, and that's why I put him at the headliner. But some people are talking to me, and people that are wrestling fans may get this reference. The fact that Triple H and Chris Jericho went on last in WrestleMania 18 when earlier on that night there was the Hulk Hogan, The Rock match, the one that literally almost tore the roof off the Sky Dome. Like, that's what we compared it to. I still tell him, like, it was a great interview, Harrison. But it's like, you put me after Ken Cal. And for those that don't know, Harrison, of course, big Wings fan. I myself grew up a Wings fan. We all listened to Ken Cal growing up. So for us, it was kind of a big deal. So we're excited to have him on, like I said, 1230 Eastern time for that and it, you know it'll be a it'll be a fun but it'll be a fun show here today. I don't know exactly how long we're going to go after that. I think we may just stick with the hour and a half that we're looking at here today because a couple things. Um one I am looking outside and it's it, I say it's midday but it is gloomy out here in West Michigan. It's pouring buckets right now, thundering and lightning. Thankfully I got home when I did. Um funny story before we get to the hockey here. I uh I went to work this morning. And I hit a deer. And I probably should paraphrase or preference here why I'm doing the show now also. I've been working the last two Monday mornings because of um, last week was a holiday. And today, my I guess our usual guy just needed a holiday. And the reason why I'm like, you know what? Let's have Monday night off last week with Labor Day with the wife. Just chillax. It was nice. And tonight we're going to go see Michael Buble here in Grand Rapids. It'll be a fun show. Don't know how exactly I'm supposed to act. I love Michael Buble. I love his music. He's a great performer. So it should be a lot of fun. That said, I, uh, 
I remember I was like, okay, well, let's just do the show in the middle of the day and because I got to go to work in the morning. So I leave here at the house about 1.30-ish in the morning. And clean driving. It wasn't raining like it was today. It was or right, it is right now. It just was a little wet out. It rained last night. And I'm coming down Collindale. And all of a sudden, I see a deer. Now, I should probably tell people I worked Saturday morning as well. And I saw a deer at the exact same spot. That deer ran away, turned and went back into the trees or behind the house or whatever it was. Because deer here in West Michigan, folks, are not scared of people. They just kind of walk through neighborhoods. Heck, I've talked to some people today. There have been deer spotted in parking ramps. So that's a thing in downtown Grand Rapids. But I end up coming down almost the same spot I saw this deer on Saturday. I see it. And I look at it. I'm like, all right. I'm like, but it's going to go away. I kind of slow down a little bit. This deer decides, looks at me in the eye. We lock eyes. We had ourselves a moment, kids. And what does it decide to do? Hurls itself in front of the car. It gets nailed. And all I just remember saying to myself, this is ridiculous, kids. Like, I'm, And the worst part was, I'm like, oh, I got to get to work. And because for those that have never worked in news radio, it's kind of a big deal. You kind of want to get there early because you have to cut all the audio. You have to re- get ready all your newscasts. So, yes, I do get to work three hours before when I do a morning shift. But... I, I got to get to work. I'm freaking out. I'm thinking, oh gosh, this is it. But the thing was about it was that I stopped enough that the deer went across my car, hit the left side pretty hard, smashed out the light. The light still works somehow, believe it or not. Turn signal as well. But I hit the deer and I keep driving, waiting for my tire to go out, waiting for smoke to come out of the hood, waiting for the car to shut down as a whole, like be completely total. Airbag did not go off, by the way. Because I'm going down, it's about 40, I was going about 40, 45 down this road. So I probably brought it back down to 35 before I hit this deer, 30 or 35. But it, it doesn't look good. I, I probably could have posted it here for you guys to see. But um, yeah, no, that was <laughs> a great way to start the day. Uh, after this, I'm going to take it to a repair shop to get an estimate. And I remember I showed the picture to one guy who's had a couple of these incidents. And he said, that's eh, about five grand. And I'm like, pardon? Five grand? I just remember like, this is nuts. I'm like, I'll, you know what? I'll just, I'll, I'll just get a new car. <laughs> I should just go on, go on. What's that? Uh, that caravan or carvan or Carvana. There it is. Carvana. Got to go on that and check that stuff out. But yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting day uh, here, uh, here in West Michigan here for Tyler on the Kula show. But you know what? It's okay. We'll all have fun. We'll all be, have a good time. I mean, the car still runs. It runs fine. Nothing was leaking. I dare not open the hood of the car because I don't know if I can close it again <laughs> to see if anything's worse underneath. But so that's the thing. I, I my wife, we may take it to we may take it downtown tonight. I mean, I can easily take out my parking pass and put it in her car. But you know, we'll we'll, we'll see how the day takes us. It's still, gosh, it is raining outside. I'm literally concerned living here on the west side of town now because the weather can be a lot harder than it is back when we lived out east. So there's a good chance, kids, that this show may cut off halfway through. Hence why today we are making sure that we are recording today's episode. So when the power does go out, we can still record it and give it to you later. Now, that may affect our uh, our Zoom call later here with good guy Ken Cal in less than an hour's time. So we'll just have to wait and see how it goes. But of course, if you're watching it right now, say, Tyler, I got to go back to work. Got to go back from lunch, whatever. That is OK. No need to panic. Check it out later. It'll be on demand here on the Kiel Show YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Twitch channel. Forgot to mention Twitch, because that is what we're on as well. So don't worry. There is no way you can miss us here today on the Kiel Show. 
excuse me, I had to burp because I just had I had to have an apple before I did the show today. Because I don't know if you guys have ever had this problem before, but when you don't eat and your stomach begins to eat at itself, because I had breakfast this morning about three o'clock, so uh, that's not good. <laughs> so with that, let's get to some hockey talk here. There's been some news over the past weekend. Uh, one of the one of the smaller bits of news, and I for. For me, it's a bit of a smaller news. If you're probably from St. Louis, it's maybe a bigger deal, which it deserves to be. David Backus has retired from hockey, retiring after 15 years. Backus was the captain for the Blues for a very long time, was traded a few years back. I want to say after the 16 run was his last time with the with the Blues. Let me quick look that up here. He went to Boston, played a couple years, I remember he finished out his career in Anaheim, which was a little bit odd. He did sign a one-day contract. He did that lovely retirement thing. He signs a one-day deal with St. Louis, so he retires a blue, which, you know what? I'm okay with. I'm good with that. Spent the majority of his time with his with the Blues. Yeah, he signed after the 2016 season, and then three years later, they won the cup. Now, I don't know if David Backus would have been on that team or would that team have been any would have been any worse with him or any better. We yeah, It's one of those ifs and buts scenarios. Ends his career playing 965 games, 248 goals, 313 assists for 561 points. Total penalty minutes, 1,148. That's a good guy right there. Plays hard, plays tough. He hits hard him, and he goes after him. He doesn't let up, and yada, yada, yada. It's good to see, you know, the fact that he's able to get out under his own terms. Only played 15 games last year. Was traded at the deadline, or was traded eventually from Boston to Anaheim which is why he ended his, well, ended his playing time with the Ducks. You know, it's one of those things, you see 965, like, man, you kind of stuck it out for one more year, David. And it's it's one of those deals that, at what point are you hurting being on a team? I think the reason why it kind of, that he was allowed to play in Anaheim is because they were a little bit on the poor side, so they knew they could give him a few games. But that's obviously a rebuilding franchise. That's a rebuilding hockey club. They don't want to keep old guys around. And hence why whenever you see, if you ever see like a a minor league team have a 40-year-old guy, it's probably that one guy mainly because he's the captain of the team and he's there to teach the kids how to play and be professionals. You don't have too many of those. And obviously Anaheim still has Ryan Getzlaff on that team. I'm trying to think who else is getting older over there. There's not many. I know that now. I think Ricard Raquel was one. Adam Henrique was one for a while, obviously. But you can only have so many of those guys, and he probably figured that he wasn't going to play. His contract was up. And I'll be honest with you, kids. I know this is going to sound really dumb because he's retired, and I'm, I'm glad he's able to get out under his own terms and able to move on with his professional life. And I guarantee he's going to be in hockey at some point. That's probably why he signed with St. Louis, so he can stay with the Blues and probably be part of their hockey development, front office jobs and whatnot. But the way the Blues are shaping up this year, you're telling me he couldn't get you couldn't get him 35 games, like play 1,000 with St. Louis, play game number 1,000 with St. Louis. I think that'd be pretty cool. But then again, I'm not I'm not Doug Armstrong, nor will I ever be Doug Armstrong because well, eventually my hair will my hair will go, so maybe I'll get to that point with Doug Armstrong in his and his uh, lovely bald head. But I don't think anyone would ever trust me with a hockey club, nor should they ever if they've ever seen me actually play fantasy hockey. It's never a good thing. But congratulations, David Backus, on a very, very colorful and lovely career in the National Hockey League. Physical guy, a guy that could, he scored some big goals for St. Louis, also was very a fun guy to watch, and he was a leader in and out of the locker room on and off the ice.
the I think one of the biggest things that I'm excited to see coming through here as we move over to signings and free agency. I'm really curious to see who is left by the end of next week, not this week, because obviously we still got a little bit of time here. This weekend, by the way, is a lot of the prospect sermons, which means training camp starts up next week. How many players are going to get signed by the end of next week? Probably a lot, even by some of the end of this week as well. But let's go into some guys that did sign this past week. We talked a little bit about Drake Batherson last week, re-signing with Ottawa, signing a big extension. Holy cow, it is windy outside. Sorry, kids, I just looked out, because my window is right over here now. It's not like it's, I mean, it was kind of at a similar angle at the old apartment, but I can literally just look over my left now out of the corner of my eye, and I just see the leaves going sideways, which is good to see, because I have some low-hanging tree branches that are hanging over the yard that I'm just waiting to snap off at this point. But we'll have to wait and see. Anyways, back to business. Drake Batherson signing for six years, $4.975 million. And it's a good deal. I don't think anyone's questioning whether or not this is a a huge buy for Ottawa or it's too much expenditure. But for a guy of Drake Batherson's stature, signing him for six years at five mil is a good-looking contract. Here's the problem. And while the Ottawa Senators still do have the most cap space in the National Hockey League, according to our good friends at Cap Friendly here, at $24.5 million, you have to look at the guy they have to sign. And that guy's name is Brady Kachuk. Still an RFA. I haven't heard anything on the forefront. It sounds like they're still plugging away, trying to find the right number. And this is coming to one of those things where the player clearly wants to get a little bit more and it's not going to be a hometown discount with a guy like Brady Kachuk and it stinks if you're an Ottawa Senators fan because you can tell Brady loves playing with the Senators team he loves playing with all these youngsters and all the this fun little roster they have I mean gosh to me Tim Stoops Shane Pinto coming along here and then you have you know Connor Brown looks like apparently a fun locker room guy from the way they act towards him on the ice and, of course, then I got Drake Batherson, who, by the way, Drake Batherson, at less than $5 million, is the highest paid forward on the Ottawa Senators. The only person that gets paid more on the team is Thomas Shabbat, who has that big $8 million contract that's going to go for another seven seasons. So with that, you know, you know that he's going to want six or seven minimum. And I'm, as a fan of the Toronto Maple Leafs, I want there to be a competitive rivalry again between these two teams. That's what we, that's what makes this game fun. And with that, you need to keep the big players involved. It's hard. I get it to keep some players to keep the big names. Kyle Turris being one Mike Fisher being another, but that's a whole different story for a different time. I, I'm trying to think of what the exact number is going to be. Obviously Kachuk, because if Kachuk was, I think was going for six or seven, Pierre Dorian's like, here, take it. Let's do it now. And you you know he's probably going to be asking for nine. And it's a big number. And yes, it fits with this year's hockey club. It would totally fit underneath the cap. But look at the guys we're going to have to worry about signing here in a little bit. I think Alex Formanton has a little bit of growth to do before he earns a big chunk of change. But he's an RFA after this season. Josh Norris, who impressed me a lot last year. Nick Paul, who just seemed like an absolute pest to play against at times for Ottawa. He'll be a UFA next year, so that's going to mean that a little bit more money for him. Chris Tierney is an RF or UFA after this year. I don't know about that, but the two big ones you have to worry about—not this season, but next season—Connor Brown and Austin Watson. 
and Tim Stutzla and Shane Pinto. So you have four free agents coming up next season. I should probably mention on defense as well. Nick Holden, who you just got in a trade, is going to be a UFA after next season. Victor Mete and Eric Brandstrom are going to be RFAs after the season as well. Brandstrom, who I still have very high hopes for on the back end of what is shaping up to be a very good, talented, young defense core there in Ottawa with Thomas Shabbat up front. You know, you're going to want to keep those guys around. Victor Mete, by the way, is only 23 years old. I should mention that. I hope he continues to get opportunities. And you also have to sign Anton Forsberg. I don't know what the future is for him. He played pretty well at some points. Him and Matt Murray became quite the tandem as Ottawa just kind of started to play and have fun towards the end of the season last year. That's why they were one of the best teams in the North, despite the fact that they were well out of a playoff spot because they had a miserable month of January to start the year. So, yes, signing him for 9 mil could work now. And signing him for 9 mil for an extended period of time could end up panning out if the cap actually does grow in the next few seasons. It's probably not going to grow as much as many people would like, Toronto. But it could work out. That said, though, you're going to have to sign some big names because if Tim Stutzla continues to progress, continues to play well, and continues to show that he is a high-caliber NHLer by the end of next season doesn't have a sophomore slump this year, goes back-to-back, knock on wood as I say that, that's going to be a big chunk of change as well. It's the problem of having so many good players. You have to spend a lot of money. And everyone's like, but Tyler, the Toronto Maple Leafs have so many good players, you harp on them all the time. I'm sorry. I think if you pay a guy, you know, double digits of millions of dollars, they should be able to perform in the playoffs, but that's just me. That's why Calgary, I think, because Calgary doesn't pay uh, Johnny Hockey that much money, do they? They don't pay Johnny Gaudreau that much. At least not $12 million or whatever it is. $11 million. I'm, yes, it's a hyperbole. I'm going far-fetched. I get it, kids. But that's it. I, I like to see Ottawa continue to per- improve. They're always up there. A pesky team to play if you're playing against Toronto. Same thing with Montreal. And I think if, you, if they really start to progress this season, if they start, if they have a decent start this year, I think they could be a competitive team in the Atlantic. I don't think they'll make the playoffs. Because there's, at this point, too many good teams. But I think they'll be in the thick of it for a long time. They're not a team that should be buying the deadline. I don't think anyone's doubting that. We talked about that with Thomas Biondo last Monday. But they will be an interesting team to watch, to pay attention to this year. Especially when they keep a guy around like Drake Batherson. Drake Batherson, who isn't a superstar. I don't think anyone's judging that. But for $5 million for six years... That's a contract that could look pretty darn thrifty. Uh, born in Fort Wayne, but does have Canadian uh, Canadian status, dual citizen. He put up 34 points last year in 56 games, was kind of bouncing up and down. And I remember when he came up from uh, from the queue, played a lot for Cape Breton, but then finished off his career with uh, Armada, Blainfield, Bobby M. Also had a, a very, very good uh, World Junior Tournament there in 2018 where he scored scored in each of the games he played. He was he was an incredibly solid player uh, on that that gold medal winning team in Buffalo. So I remember I'm like this he's going to be something. And you know what? I think he's going to continue to progress. And I'll tell you by year five and six, if he continues to go up this hill that he's building himself right now, linear or exponential, whatever you want to do, as long as the positive integer, that five that four point nine seven five is going to look like a steal by the end of things here. So it'll be interesting to see what they do there. 
Another signing, Eric Goodbranson signed with Calgary. Goodbranson, who played a little bit with Ottawa last season. You know what? And, and add a piece on defense, 1.95. It's not a big deal. Calgary signed a couple other players as well, a couple of small-time contracts. Uh, they they got a hold of Brad Richardson for 800 k 912000 for Connor Mackey. Michael Stone stays around for seven fifty. So depth pieces for Calgary. And, and, you know, Calgary is, you know, we mentioned there with Johnny Hockey, who, as I click their thing right now, he's getting paid 6.75. He's going to be a UFA after next year. He's going to get close to nine. Everyone knows that. But what I want, I wouldn't, it's funny. I, I wouldn't sign him for that much. I would seriously say, I'm like, what? Yeah, you're a good player. You, you play well in the regular season. But come playoff time, you are you are worthless. Why do you think Tampa was okay with giving Corey Perry a two-year contract? Because Corey Perry may be mediocre for those 80 games, or if you play him in a limited role, as he probably will this season, 70 games. However, those 15 or 16 you may play in the playoffs, he will be a key factor. Yes, he, he was not as good this past year, Corey Perry, with Montreal. At least it wasn't as noticeable. But he was still a key player. He was still a guy that that team needed to make that run to the finals. Same thing with Dallas the year prior. Except Corey Perry scored a lot of big goals. Scored the overtime winner to keep Dallas alive in that series against Tampa. So saying that you know guys like that are not important. But that's what I'm saying. I, I, I hold stack more stock in those players than I do a guy like Johnny Gaudreau. Because that's a contract that, yes, you know what? Brad Trillian's probably going to give him 9 or 10. I would not be shocked in the slightest, even though he knows he's got to pay Matthew Kachuk, who this is the last year of that $7 million bridge contract that Kachuk signed. So I'm sure, pretty sure Brady's like, all right, how do I do this negotiation for this bridge contract? Because I want a lot of money one day. And Matthew's like, just go for six or seven and make 15 mil by the end of it. Now, I don't know if Kachuk, Matthew Kachuk is going to make that much, but he's, I'd say he's close to double digits. I, I still think he's the MVP of that hockey club. I know he's a bit of a wild card at times, but... I'm looking at the roster right now, Calgary. Yeah, Gaudreau's a good player. Sean Monahan is still one of their top guys. Michael Backlund at age 32. Bob Backlund himself is still playing well. Andrew Mangiapani, world championship hero, he really came on last year. Uh, he has one more year in his contract as well. Then after this season, you have Tyler Pitlick, Brett Ritchie, Richardson, Lewis, and Byron Fraze. Rich, or Richardson, like you just signed, for one year. And you also have Michael Stoney signed for one year, Eric Goodbranson for one year, and Nikita Zadorov, who you acquired in a trade, one more year. So Calgary has to be thrifty here for a team that only has a million left in cap space. Now, for next season, as I jump on over to it, they are looking at spending a total of, they are sitting at $51.3 million, which means they have 30 between guys, like I said, like a Chuck like Gaudreau, and all their defensemen. Calgary's going to have a fun time next year in free agency in the offseason. Another one that's signed, and I think a pretty prominent one, just based on the fact of how his offseason went, uh, Zach Parise signing for an undisclosed contract, by the way. It sounds like it's a short-term deal. There's still no... I, I'm serious when I say this, kids. There is no official word on the terms of Zach Parise's contract. At least that's when I checked last night. I didn't have time to check today, unfortunately, because like I said, I was working. Let me just quick over here on the New York Islanders page, because that is where he signed. Zach Parise still signed for an undisclosed contract. So it says he signed 
It doesn't even say on cat friendly. They list him as an Islander, but they don't say it. This is the most Lou Lamarillo thing, by the way. The fact that he has, he has signed. There is a contract that has Zach Parise's name on it, but there is no value on it yet. No disclosed information for term or cash amount. And like I said, I'm not shocked. It's a, it's a Lou thing. You know, which is kind of a bummer because uh, Golden Muzzy, Nick Alberga himself, good friend of the show, he tweeted out the picture of Fresh Will Smith from Fresh Prince of Bella at the very end when he's looking around the empty house at the on the season finale. Spoiler, by the way, thirty year old spoiler. And it's like Nick Travis Zajac sitting there like this because Travis Zajac, out of all the vets that they signed, you know, or the players that they signed, looted in that one fell swoop, signing Palmieri, signing Bovillier, Casey Zekas, guys that a lot of people thought were going to be on the move just based on the fact that they didn't know if the Islanders would want to keep them. Zach Parise kind of adds to that list, and Parise kind of fills that role of where Zajac was. Now, I'm not saying Zajac was a bad get by Lou Lamarillo, but when you compare him to Kyle Palmieri, who they got in that contract or that trade as well, it does not look as good or as strong. So I understand why maybe Zajac was left to the side. Now, don't forget, Palmieri, Zajac, and Parise, these are all guys that Lou had in New Jersey. This is not like... You know, Lou doesn't know anything about Travis Ajak. And from the stories we hear about Lou and from chitter chatter I hear from around the league, Lou is very personal with these guys. He gets to know them, their families and whatnot. They get to know what kind of dog they have or he they have. He's one of those kind of managers, which is awesome. And so it's not like he's just saying, oh, bye, Zajac, you know, nice knowing you, to Lou. I guarantee you Lou's maybe had that conversation. Now, granted... This could easily change within a week that Sajak signs for minimum wage with the Islanders. Now, maybe that's what Sajak's holding out for. Maybe he wants a little bit more. I don't know how much he has left. But to that point, that's where I come back to Parise. Lou said, you know what? If Travis ain't ready to come back yet at this number, let's get Parise to sign on here and let's get him in because we know that number. We don't know. I say we don't know that number here on TKS, but Lou and Zach and the Islanders and Brass and obviously the NHL has to know about it. They all know that number and they reached it. I would not be shocked if this is a one-year contract for $750. I don't think anyone would. Just the way that Parise's career has gone. And that's nothing against Zach Parise, the person. It's just his numbers have not been there. That said, I'm sure maybe Lou gives him a little bit of something. Right now, they are sitting at about 3.7, a little over 3.7 mil in LTIR that is used. Now, who they have on LTIR, Johnny Boychuk, who, of course, had to retire last year. They had to pay a very, uh, contract penalty to Thomas Hickey, which is costing them almost 1.4, 1.375 to be exact. So there's going to have to be some moves made in order to make Zach Parise. Well, not necessarily work, because, like I said, Johnny Boychuk's on LTIR. That is the only contract they have to worry about signing for this season. And there is a little bit of work they're going to have to do will Lou next season with the Islanders. You have Cal Clutterbuck, Leo Komarov, and Ross Johnson. Johnson, he may be on the outside looking in there. But uh, defense, you have a couple big ones. Ryan Pulak, who I think is going to be making upwards of six or seven at the end of his contract if he has another good year. Uh, Noah Dobson, who has been, you know, he's been he's been good, but he hasn't been great in his first couple of years. Last year of his ELC is this season. Andy Green will be a UFA. After this year, he's making minimum wage right now. He may be done after this year, give or take. I'm not sure yet. See how he plays. And the other Sebastian Ajo, who is 
listed at 725k has arbitration rights after next season as well so a little bit of work to do in the future here for Lou but getting Parisian I think you know what for some reason it works with the Islanders they play for Lou the vets and they get it and they bring that back to the younger players the Barzells and the Sezikis's Sezikis's Sezikis I no Sezikis and you know the younger crew that comes in there you know I almost want to say, I, I almost said Brock Nelson, but I have to remind myself, I look on here, Brock Nelson's 29 years old, guys. I'm old. Um, and, you know, I'm looking at their roster right now. They got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 10, 11. They have 11 of their 23 contracts up top, or 25 contracts up top that are 30 or older. Zach Parise being the oldest at 30, or no, 37, he's the second oldest. Green's the oldest at 38. So there's some age with this hockey club. And you know what? It's got them you know, to a good spot the last couple of years. I think they could have done it last year. They just unfortunately ran into a Tampa team that was stronger. That was much stronger than they thought. So we'll have to see how they do next season. And hopefully they do well because I like the Islanders fans are fun to listen to. And it's going to be interesting too because once again, kids, and the new barn over there in Belmont Park, near Belmont Park. I'm kind of excited to see it. Kind of excited to see how it sounds, how it looks. I'm pretty sure Lou made it a way to try to make it like Nassau a little bit, at least in terms of the the, the audacity in the arena, how loud that place could get. And it also looks very nice because it's a gosh darn village. If anyone's ever seen pictures of it, it's going to, you know, whoever's been to Little Caesars Arena, how there's like restaurants connected to it and shots connected to it. It's literally, and it's got a, it's going to have a subway station going right into the arena. It, it's going to be cool looking, and I'm excited to see how it looks on TV because I don't know if I'll be able to go out to New York this year. Uh, then again, I say that because I've never been to New York. I've never been, I've been to Washington D.C., but I've never been up the Turnpike as far as I think we went Pittsburgh, and then we went down to go to Washington D.C. Yeah, I've never been up in the Northeast, unfortunately. Almost went to Boston a couple years back to do some broadcasting. Unfortunately, that fell through, but. Anywho, moving on. So that's pretty much it for the, the big signings. Haven't heard anything. Checking my Twitter to make sure everything sounds good. Um, oh, one of the big news stories we probably should mention from last week, before we get to the remaining unrestricted free agents, the National Women's Hockey League rebranding after their seven seasons. Obviously, we covered it quite a bit this past year with the Isabel Cup, the bubble, well, the alleged bubble, but we, of course we talked about it with Dan Rice and we, we love covering women's hockey on here. We did a lot with the women's world hockey championships and they have rebranded now calling themselves the premier hockey federation. They have, they've quote raised the W as they have. That's what their, their slogan is. And you can find it online. The new logo, it's pretty unique. They took the four stars that are on the NWHL, cut a couple of them in half. And it's the idea is that the, they're technically two whole stars, but the one star in the middle and the two half stars shape the W above the Premier Hockey Federation slogan, above the nameplate. And the point of it was to not direct, not say it's not associated with women's hockey, but so that people say it's a women's hockey league. It's a rebrand to make that league seem like it is a Premier Hockey League, Premier Hockey Federation. Because And the reason why Tyler Tamina... Tuminia went on 31 Thoughts last week to talk about it when the announcement was made. And it was pretty cool because she said, like, we want to be known because A, a federation because there's so many international players now. The NWHL is 
continuously growing overseas. We mentioned how there's a couple of players, a couple of really good players coming out of Hungary this year. They have players from Sweden, Finland. It's becoming a more and more international league. Obviously, the Canadian Women's Hockey League did a lot of great work when they went to China for those couple of years. By the way, China playing pretty good. I think they just won their championship in China, their Women's Hockey League. Um, but they're, I still follow them on Twitter. That's why I know. Um, but they, it, that league, the NWHF, excuse me, the PHF, the Premier Hockey Federation, has grown. And they asked, of course, the question came up about the combined league. And they're, and Tyler answered it. She did a really good job in pointing out that this, they wanted to happen. They may have to join forces at some point, but at that point in time, similar to what we've heard in the past, it's just not there yet, which I understand. It's, this is not a, not a thing you just rush into. You don't just go, all right, guys, we're going to be a new league together. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. And there we go. So I'm excited to see what happens next. There is still the plan with the, with the with Twitch, of course, to broadcast the games this season. I personally would like to see the games with, and this is just me. I know there's this there's probably no talk. I'm just putting this out in the universe. If the league can get games onto NBC Sports, or excuse me, on Peacock, because obviously at the end of this calendar year, end of 2021, the NBC Sports Network will be no more. So I wonder now if you can turn that and say, hey, because if for me, a big Premier League fan, I have watched a lot of the matches online on Peacock or I've streamed them. I mean, I can stream them on my TV as well, but that's how I've watched a lot of the events, similar when I did the Olympics as well. So I wonder if there can be a deal made there with the league where you can put the games on there and you, you know, similar to how the ECAC is on ESPN plus. It isn't necessarily an ESPN Plus broadcast or broadcast like with ESPN guys. It's typically a student-ran broadcast or a school-ran broadcast through ESPN Plus. I wonder if the National Women's Hockey National. I have to. I've just. I have to nip this in the butt, kids. The Premier Hockey Federation wants to go not just use Twitch, but find a way to get on Peacock as well, because I think that would be a huge game changer for the team to get a little bit more national spotlight because Peacock continues to grow more and more and more, especially since streaming is becoming more popular than your regular TV and cable packages. My wife and I, we still have Hulu Live TV because we like the ability to have multiple channels. Obviously, places like Paramount Plus, Peacock, while they are at lesser rates, they only have NBC or Comcast-owned channels or Paramount-owned channels like CBS, Nickelodeon, whatnot. Same thing with Disney. Oh boy, Disney Plus, they go live TV. That's going to take away the ABCs and whatnot. ABC, ESPN. Fox doesn't have one. I mean, Fox has, you know, they do like their Fox Sports live or you can watch it streaming that way. But I wonder if that's ever crossed their mind. It may have. I'm guaranteed someone said, hey, let's get on TV. Well, there's there's rights with that. And, you know, especially we had the whole deal with ESPN and TNT getting those. I don't know how many companies are out there that are buying women's hockey, even though they should. Cry and shame that they don't. But I would like to see more of it from the big names, but I do like the reason why I don't want him to go full Peacock is because or full network is because Twitch is so much fun. And I, we talked about this a hundred thousand times, even with Dan Rice, the couple times we've had him on it, by the way, Dan Rice working for the ice garden. Now that's he's writing over there full time covering women's hockey, which is awesome to see. I love the fact that when I watch a PHF game on Twitch, 
I can interact with people and in a typically positive environment, which like I always mention, hockey, Twitter, hockey, social media, not necessarily the most friendly to be a part of sometimes. Trust me. I messed up on the whole RFA deal or how Jesperi Kakaniemi would have to be paid over 100% of his contract. I was incredibly wrong the way I said it and uh, got roasted on Twitter for that. So also fact check kids before you tweet stuff. Uh, it's probably the best thing you can do. By the way, the PHF is still under the NW- at NWHL on their social media accounts. They're probably waiting to figure it out with Twitter to keep their um, credibility, their um, their blue check mark, uh, their status, I guess, their premier status. Because if you change your Twitter name at all, you lose your blue check mark unless you get properly approved by Twitter. I'm pretty sure that's what the league is trying to figure out before they change their social media handles to at PHF, I would presume. So excited to see how they move forward through here. This far, I don't see an official schedule release yet, but it's probably going to be coming soon because the 2021-22 season is going to be a full one for the PHF. It's going to be really exciting to watch. Let's get to here as we got a little bit less, a little over 20 minutes until we get on with Ken Cal here. Let's get to some free agents that still remain. Now, quick couple of the RFA ones that we should probably get out of the way here. Brady Kachuk, we already talked about. A guy that needs to be signed. Kirill Kaprizov, still not signed by the Minnesota Wild. I, Billy Garen, what are you doing? I guarantee you it's, it's a back and forth. And I listened to the last latest Steve Dangle podcast, and they talked with Alan Walsh, who is the famous agent of Marc-Andre Fleury, for those who don't remember the playoffs in 2020. But he's also he also is with uh, Jan Ruda and um, so many other players. I can't think off the top of my head, unfortunately. But he's been around, like, his record is kind of funny, where he has been, he has had one client on each of the last 25 Stanley Cup champions. That's pretty impressive. But anyways, he was talking about how contract negotiations work, and he said in a very non-discreet way, it can be tough to get the right number. It's not just sit down, we both come in the middle. Like There are certain details that are worked out in each contract. That's why contracts aren't signed right away. You know, for us Leaf fans, Mitch Marner didn't get signed right until before camp. William Nylander, he was getting his Christmas list ready to go, and he got that six-plus million dollars added on to it, which was pretty nice. Maybe, maybe made, its, made his parents' gifts a little bit nicer that year for Christmas. But like that's what we talk about. It's, it's not as easy as we think. Now, that said, Billy Garrett, why aren't you giving him the entire half of St. Paul, a key to the city, maybe a fresh apartment, why are you giving him that yet? Because this is a guy that you need to have on this hockey club. I'm sorry. I Listen, I love Kaprizov. I, I love the Wild. I love the state of Minnesota. Hoppy, state of Hoppy, the fun guys always to bring on. Pat Micheletti, every time we talk to him, it's a blast to talk to him about Minnesota hockey. But that team will not make the playoffs if Kaprizov does not sign. Even in the Central Division, that's shaping up to be, while there be a lot of teams that are in the playoffs, not the, not the easiest to get through. There may be five teams coming out of there, but if Minnesota doesn't have any offense with Winnipeg, Dallas, who knows about St. Louis, but Chicago, Colorado, it's going to be, it's not going to be easy. We saw that with Phoenix, with Arizona last year in the West. If Arizona had their offense and, well, had a goaltender that wasn't consistently injured, they would have seriously have been a contender in that division. But they don't have it. That's the problem. So now I wonder what the plan's going to be moving forward if they don't sign him. I'm pretty sure that's what Billy Guerin and the staff is trying to figure out. I'm like, all right, guys, when we start this season in a couple weeks, 
how are we going to be, how, what are the Minnesota Wild going to look like without Kaprizov? Yes, there is still the rumor that he's going to go back to Russia, which is still a possibility. But that said, I know Billy Garrett, he sticks to his guns. He's a heart. He's a firm guy. You don't want to mess with him. But how do you not kind of bend a little bit to keep Kaprizov on your team? Now, yes, it is very public knowledge that the next two years, not this season, but the next two, are going to suck contract-wise, salary cap-wise for the Minnesota Wild with the buyout penalties of Zach Parise and Ryan Suter. So, yes, you do have to finagle the numbers and work those into the into the contract of Caprizo. At least take that into account. But, man, they, they have to work to get this thing to go. I, even if it's just one year. Get him signed for this year and let him and tell the boys in the locker room, hey, make him love it here. You will all make Kaprizov love being in Minnesota, or else I will fight you and I will take you down like I'm one of my old Dallas Stars teammates. For those that don't know, Billy Garen once straight up whacked one of his rookie kids in camp when he was playing for Dallas. He straight up like tomahawked one of them. Early 2000s hockey kids was great. It was fun to watch. But that's really the big one right there is, is Kirill Kaprizov. Now, as I go back to the rest of them, there's a couple other ones that have not to be signed. Uh, Rasmus Dahlin's a big one. Elias Pedersen's another. Quinn Hughes. Robert Thomas. Kai Yamamoto. Yamamoto may be a fairer deal, but obviously they're just trying to get as much as they can. Dahlin, I think Dahlin now, you know, maybe with this, maybe a fresh start. And he started to play a little bit better. When we talked with Jordan DeShane a couple weeks ago, he just looked more confident. Towards the end there with Don Granado at the helm, still there. Probably just once again looking for a better number than what he's being offered. Elias Pettersson would not be shocked at all. Jim Benning is obviously showing that he wants to make this team good and good now. And I think Pettersson wants to be paid like a good player because he is good. He's not superstar level yet, but he is certainly one of the best players on that Vancouver team, as with Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes may have a chance to play with Oliver Ekman Larson, which means that Quinn Hughes is going to have to do some bacon saving this year with OEL because... Boy, he had some tough goes down there in Arizona the last couple of years. So maybe that's why with Benning, talking about having to sign multiple guys, he's like, all right, we can give this guy this amount of money and this guy this amount of money. Well, this guy wants this money. Okay, well, we can only give that this money to this guy then. And it's back and forth, and it's not easy, not something that I would want to do <laughs> once again. Glad I'm not a GM. Glad I'm just an armchair GM. By the way, armchair GM, uh, something you can do on capfinity.com. You can make trades, sign players, try to fit your own team under the cap. Because for those that remember, uh, we tried to do that with Seattle Kraken. And remember how that world that worked, kids? We uh, went like five or six mil over the cap with the team that we picked. And how much How much money does Seattle still have in cap space? They still have, uh, let's look, see here. They are still a little over eight mil under the cap. So clearly Ron Francis and I would have been in a very different direction. That's why he was hired by the big guns of Tim Lewicki and Jerry Brookheimer and stuff. And I'm sitting here at this desk talking to you lovely folks at home here on the Kula Show. So obviously a lot to go for still. And of course, there's still a possibility for, for some more, you know, contract offers and offer sheets and whatnot. But doubt that's going to happen at this point. At this stage of the game, who knows? Oh, what else we got here? So there's some unrestricted free agents. We talked about Travis Ajak, the guys that have not signed yet. That's a biggie, I think. Uh, Sammy Vatnin, who is it not? Is it because he's asking for too much in the in the hard cap year that we're looking at here? Because I think Sammy Vatnin is one of the most underrated defensemen in this league, and it's not like he's having bad numbers. I just think he's in a very 
conspicuous spot where he's just he's just not going to be able to make as much money as he would in a escalating cap year. Sammy Vatnin, who can play the left and right side, he's only 30 years old. He was did he get signed with the Ducks? No, he signed with. Blah. He was with New Jersey last year, signed on a one-year deal, and was currently or was drafted by Anaheim, but currently unsigned right now. I I wonder. I really wonder what the plan is going to be with him moving forward. Obviously, you don't want to go back to Anaheim. At his stage of the game, he wants to probably stay with a team that has a shot. And obviously, New Jersey, they bring in a lot of big guys. They still have P.K. Subban's contract, and they still have a guy by the name of Dougie Hamilton that they just signed to a big contract as well. They also have, can't forget about Ryan Graves, who they traded for to leave him exposed in the expansion draft. They still have him. He's a very good, young, talented defenseman. Excited to see what he can do with New Jersey. That devil seems not going to look too bad. I just don't think that their number, unless they're, like I said, unless something comes out of the hat here, that may not be a fit for Sammy Vatnin. But where is it going to be? He was only making $2 million last year. He had a big contract that he signed back in 2016 with the Ducks that had him making 4.875. Obviously, when you get older with age, you know, you kind of regress a little bit. He's not quite worth near $5 million. But I'm still trying to think he's trying to get near the $2 million mark as he was last year. It may be tough with teams very close to the cap this season. Another guy that's also out there, and I think the big one that a lot of people in the New England area are looking at is Tuka Rask, right? This is a Boston Bruins team that has Linus Allmark as their starting goaltender. Now, I'm not saying as a shot to the Boston Bruins that that's their starting goaltender. But they don't have anyone else. Well, they have Jeremy Swayman, who that's not a guy you're going to send, keep, not going to be the 1B. You want him to be a 1A moving forward. However, it's so hard to try to figure out what they're going to do with him because obviously Boston's looking towards the future. I say that even though they, you know, brought in a guy, um, sorry, they brought in a guy like Nick Foligno. They still have Craig Smith, who is upwards of 32 years old. I, I get, I kind of sound like a hypocrite when I say that they kept Taylor Hall around, of course, as well. He'll be turning 30 within the year. I, he's been there for so long now. Gosh, he's been there for 13, 14 years. He's been a big part of that hockey club, and I still think he was a good goaltender. Yeah, it didn't go so well in the postseason. I get that, but I, I think that he can be a guy that can be a, a still a solid net miner in the league. But, obviously, it's one of those things. He is, gonna, he is coming off that big contract that he had for so long. I think he was making, what, $7 million, right? Yeah, he was making $7 mil for since 2013. They go to the Stanley Cup Finals, and he gets $7 mil for a long time, and it is a big contract, but I wonder if that conversation came up and said, all right, Tuca, here's all we can give you. Because he is older. He is 34. He's 34, which is not as old as I would think, but then again, for goaltenders, it does start to go a little bit. So I get it. It's a little bit tough to have him for like for that long period of time and want to keep him there too. And I, I presume that Tuca wants to be there, even though the Boston Bruins fans are towards Tuca more, I, man, actually probably about the same in terms of extremes as Carey Price is in Montreal. Carey Price, the first three rounds of the Stanley Cup playoffs, Carey Price is the greatest thing of all time. He's Vesna. He's all world again. It's great. 
Cons my trophy where to win the whole damn thing. Plays poorly in the finals. I'm like, oh my gosh, why do we still have him? That's just how the game is in Montreal. Toronto, of course. April Reimer got death threats on Twitter. It was, it was wonderful. Great times that we had back in Toronto in 13 and 14. Well, it was 2013 was the playoffs, but 14 was the 18 winner that fell off when Bernier got hurt and Reimer did not have the best of times. But Tuca is still a good goaltender. He is not the best goaltender. But I think in terms of having a good tandem, I would think you'd want Rask, unless you're bringing up Swayman. If you're going full tilt with Jeremy Swayman as your netminder in Boston, you have to go full tilt. You can't bring him in as a 1B. Linus Allmark is not your starting goaltender. It's either you go with Swayman, you bet the farm on him, or you bring back Tuca for a couple of years, let Swayman develop a little bit more in Providence. Don't forget, that was his first pro season last year, guys. And the only reason we got to play is because Tuca got hurt, Halak got hurt, didn't go so well. He kind of had to He had to be there. So now, unless you're going to bring him up and make him your number one guy, you're wasting your time even thinking about even bringing him up. Allmark is not a, he's not a starting goaltender, for a winning hockey club. Is that better? All right, I get it. Yes, he was on a bad team in Buffalo. And he showed flashes of brilliance. But if you want to have a guy like him to be your top goaltender for Boston, who has given this, it seems like, one more shot by bringing in guys like Felino and keeping guys like Hall around, you're clearly going for it. So we'll have to wait and see with him. Uh, Jason, Demers, Jason Demers is another one. Longtime San Jose Shark. Don't know where he's going to fit. Um, speaking of former Devils, Nikita Gusev, who came in with a lot of pizzazz last year and just didn't quite pan out as we thought it would. Uh, I'm not counting him out of ever signing a contract, but you know there needs to be something there first. James Neal is another big name that was making 5.75 mil. Gosh almighty. That's what happens, kids. You play well for a few years, and you sign on for a big contract for a long time, and next thing you know, you're getting paid a big money for a long time, even though you may not be worth big money. James Neal is that way. Uh, Devin Dubnik's out there, too. He's 35. Gosh, I don't want to say it's done for him, but, man, he, he has come a long way. I One of these years, I think I'm going to do, I got to get him on for a story because I still remember seeing him back up Dustin Tokarski and Hamilton. I still remember that very vividly, how he went from starting goaltender for the Oilers. That was during the oil change years where they were just bad, and unfortunately they saw it all the time with him. Ended up getting cut from them. and No, he was traded to Montreal, sent down to the minors, because I think that at that point they had Price and, well, they had Price and Budai. And then Tokarski got called up for the playoffs because Budai was just not ready for that to come into that situation in 2014. Tokart came in, didn't do so well, and they realized, you know what? Tokarski's not a starting goaltender, guys. He may be a world junior gold medalist, but that's where this story ends. And, and that's a bummer because I thought he had some potential as well. But as we learned, it uh, didn't go so well. Still with the Buffalo, still in the NHL, which is good to see. Um, in a lesser role as it's been in years past. Eric Stahl is still a UFA Obviously, he doesn't want to be in Buffalo. He's okay with that. Could he go somewhere? Could he go back to Minnesota? I don't know. Did things end badly there? He seemed comfortable in the situation. Now I wonder if Billy Guerin wants to have him. I just saw a tree branch fall. Sorry. I saw, I saw a branch fall, and I got, oh, boy. Nothing hit the house, so we're okay. The rain has stopped. The wind has calmed down. It's still dark outside here in West Michigan. 
Uh, Alex Galchenyuk is still an unrestricted free agent. He's only 27 years old. He did put up only 13 points last year in 34 games. And I remember with with the Leafs, he was it was weird. You were either loving him or you hated him. It was a very strange scenario with Alex Galchenyuk. Now, yes, the giveaway in game five in the overtime that led to the goal by, was it Coffey or Suzuki? Uh, the overtime goal in game five against Toronto, it, it gave him the goat horns, gave it to him hard, which deservedly show. You give up the puck at, your own, at the offensive blue line, when you're the last guy back, you look like an idiot. So I get why you know people are a little bit hesitant to go after him. We saw how he can play in a lesser role and how good he can be in that role as well. Who is going to take a shot on a guy like that, though, when, it's, when they're unsure? Because things ended very badly when he went to Ottawa. Didn't really play much in Ottawa. He was kind of an okay, mediocre, mid, you know, second, third line guy in Minnesota. I don't think they're going to want him back. Obviously, they're looking for something younger, but still talented. And unfortunately, Galchenyuk is 31 years old now. It's not easy for a guy like him. A um, couple of other older guys, Braden Coburn still out there. Curtis McElhinney's still out there. Mentioned Eric Stahl. Franz Nielsen, who just was excommunicated by Red Wings fans at 37. He's still out there. Tyler Bozak, your favorite face-off specialist. Your face-off specialist. It's my, my tongue comes together there and tongues I'm tired. Sorry, I stopped drinking coffee so I can keep talking. Give me a second here. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. About lukewarm coffee now, but it's still pretty good. Death Wish Coffee kicking us in today. Oh, man, we got five minutes till Ken Cal comes on here. He's not ready for this, kids. I'll try to keep it calm for him. But Tyler Bozak, going back to him. By the way, I love his family. Great family he's got there. You know what? I don't know if he wants to play, but if he does, good for him. But if not, hey, he got his cup, and he got to spend it with his family, and it's... I wished him nothing but the best when he went, when he, when he signed, I was sad when he signed with St. Louis, even though we knew the writing was on the wall. Remember we had Steve Dangle on during that off season, JVR and Bozak both left and we're like, you know, what can we do? I'm like, do we feel bad? And like, no, but it sucks to see him go. And then they signed John Tavares and the whole thing went up in flames. So, but I hope he finds a good spot and a good home. A couple other guys, Ben Hutton, who, Came on to the Leafs late last year during the playoffs. Didn't play a whole lot. He's still out there. Jimmy VC, another guy that was with Toronto as a depth player, is still available as well. Zidane Chara, who should I just retire. I guess he wants to keep playing. And you know what? If he gets offered a contract, gets offered a contract. Um, Josh Anderson. Uh, the other Josh Anderson. Not Anderson from... Montreal is still out there. Sorry, I saw Josh Anderson. I'm like, wait a second. I clicked on it. I'm like, oh, that's minor league Josh Anderson. Um, but yeah, there's still a lot of Toby Reader still out there. Matt Bartowski is still available. So there, there is still talent out there. I just wonder now what the plan is going to be moving forward with a lot of these players. Obviously, we see the, these signings happen all the time. A few of these guys may get PTOs. You saw that with Mike Hoffman when he went to St. Louis. So none of these players are not going to play this year. Not all of them. Some maybe look on the outside. I don't expect Lucas Spiza to be anywhere on the NHL roster. But to that point, you'll see some guys coming back in a year or two. Or at some point, whether it be PTO, minimum wage contracts, 
Is Tuca going to retire? He's only 34 years old. I, he got hurt. I get it. I still think he can play. Where is he going to go, though, is the big question. Can't come back to the Leafs. We already got two starting goaltenders. Two of them. Got both Peter Morazic and, and uh, Jack Campbell. I almost said Jack Johnson because he's technically listed on here as a free agent, but he is going to a, for a PTO with the Colorado Avalanche, as is Artem Anisimov. And Anisimov, who I, listen, you need a depth centerman or a depth forward when Nazem Kadri gets kicked out of the playoffs. So I'd give this guy a contract, send him down to the minors, make Nisimov get ready to come up when we need you. Because, hey, listen, Colorado, you, you play for the Colorado Eagles. It can't be that bad, right? You play in that West Coast division that only plays like 40 games a year and just get called up whenever you're ready. That sounds pretty fun, right? Uh, with that, folks, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will be having the legend himself, the voice, longtime voice of the Detroit Red Wings. It will be Ken Cal here on The Kula Show when we come back right after this. And welcome back to The Kula Show, everyone, here on this Monday, September the 13th. And I am glad to be joined here today for the technically the second time as a guest, but he was helping out with the Detroit Red Wings trivia game, so we count as a third time. Here on The Kula Show, the longtime play-by-play voice of the Detroit Red Wings, Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show, Ken Cal. Ken, how are we doing today, sir? Everything is good, Tyler, and uh, just uh, all excited about Prospects Tournament going up to Traverse City in a couple of days and training camp, and boy, it's hard to believe the hockey season is right around the corner. Oh, man, it's it's wonderful. And th- for, first of all, before we, we get into the hockey year, I got to ask you, because you worked in the radio for a long time now, not just with the Red Wings, obviously that's how you got the job at the University of Michigan years ago. I must ask you this a very important question. As a guy that works in radio myself, have you ever hit a deer on the way to work? <laughs> no, uh, unfortunately I didn't. I've known people in Ann Arbor who have when I was working out there, but uh, luckily for me, no, that's never happened. Oh yeah, that, that was that was uh, the way on the wood on the wood radio train this morning, unfortunately. And thankfully the car still runs, but it it just it was a good way to start the day, you know, a good way to start the weekend. But you, I mean, you yourself, like you mentioned, a couple days here, you're going to Traverse City. It just, does it make you feel like you're back to normal a little bit? Because last year, the prospects tournament and training camp was all kind of wiped out, the little one in Detroit. Does it just feel like we're getting close to normal, if that's a real term anymore? Yeah, I would agree with you there. And uh, the last couple of years have really been, I guess, eye-opening. It's been an experience for everybody. And I remember when we left from Washington a couple of years ago and they ended the season, nobody really knew anything about the virus. Nobody ever knew if we were going to have hockey back, if it was going to return. It returned in August that year. They had the Stanley Cup playoffs. Everything worked out well. But it was one of those situations where I've never experienced anything like that as a broadcaster where you were so up in the air about, everything about you know how how are you going to do games and even last year was a little bit strange because for the first time and I've been broadcasting games for 30 over 30 years now um, you know we had to call games off the television which I I never ever did as a broadcaster every time you did an away game you traveled to the the arena on the road and and you did the game and you know that was something that I was really because I never did it before but it all worked out this year and we still don't know if we're traveling or not we just have to wait and see but um you know that's been kind of strange we all had to adapt in different ways 
Yeah, it's it's really interesting because when we had you on the back in June of 2020, they just announced how the playoffs were going to work. And right after we had you on, Ken, we had Jack Michaels on it, the Edmonton Oilers. Great guy, fun guy to talk to. And I remember yeah. I asked him because it wasn't publicly known yet how the broadcast was going to work for teams. And I asked him because he was still doing radio at the time, did TV a little bit last year for Edmonton. How, I asked him, how are you going to do things? How are things going to work for you? And he's like, I'd say, Tyler, I don't know, but there's a chance I may be sitting in the studio in Edmonton at 630, uh, 6.30 Chet up there in Edmonton. I'm like, I may be sitting in the studio. I'm like, that's crazy. They can't do that to you. And all of a sudden, we're a year later. It's like, okay, you may call games in a studio. I did that a couple times myself. And it's it's strange, Ken, especially, I mean, because you guys were based out of LCA there, right? Yeah, we were in the alumni room. And it, what was strange about it is the Pistons would have a home game. <laughs> and, uh, you know, during intermissions, Paul and I would walk out and watch some of the Piston game as they were playing an opponent. And then, you know, come back in and call the second or third period, what have you. It was a little bit different in, in that regard. Um, but, but to be honest with you, you're at the mercy of the camera. I always tell people when you're broadcasting live, when Paul's talking, I'm able to see who's changing and who's on the ice and, and uh, you get a wider of the ice and calling the play, you can actually look behind and see different things or ahead of the play that you can't see when you're at the mercy of the television camera. And there were some times this year where the, the, the camera froze for 15, 20 seconds. Oh, okay. And, and instead of just stopping, you just continued or Paul would start talking and then you, you crossed your fingers and hope that the TV would unfreeze. And then we had the delay of um, the broadcast and our effects didn't match the, the television. So these are just little things that we just had to work with until we could figure out the best way of, of how to broadcast the game off of television. But, you know, it was trial and error and we, we ended up and everything worked out okay for the most part. Yeah, because I, I, I remember um, you mentioned how the feed may go out, and it just reminded me because I was doing, I was working a couple board op games for Central Michigan football, and Adam Jackson had to call a game once, watching in his apartment, watching the ESPN feed for a CMU, and the camera went out like three or four times at the stadium, like they yeah. had power outage, and he's like, uh, "Folks, uh, we don't know what's going on over there." And it was just, it's, <laughs> it's a crazy thing, and but that's just kind of the world we live in, and. Now, I, and I asked this, and I really, and I'm sure for a lot of you guys, Ken, I'm sure you guys are hoping this is not the case, but, and I hope so as well, because it's fun. To, you can tell there's a difference between when you guys are calling a game in an arena than on the TV, but, I mean, are you kind of almost expecting to be calling a game at, at you know, at least on the road, calling a game in a studio or in the alumni room there at LCA just because the way things are starting to kind of turn here? Well, I think it's a lot better today than it was a year ago. Right. And, and what I mean by that is that uh, there are better testing protocols. And I think the way the league is going to go is that there's going to be a traveling party with the team. So what I think that means, and I'm just, I don't know, like nothing has been really talked about, but I'm assuming that along with the players, there's going to be broadcasters and PR people and training staff, obviously, that will will travel with the team. And um, I, I'm planning on traveling and I'm planning this year on doing things or calling games from the various arenas around the National Hockey League. But on the other hand, um, you know, if we get told we're not traveling and we have a preseason game in Chicago, I'll be ready to call it off a monitor. So, you know, I'm just hoping that things work out, that this uh, variant that's coming across, that's getting a lot of people right now, this COVID variant, hopefully they can get you know, get that taken care of. And again, hopefully what I, what I like 
the other day as I was watching the Michigan game on you know, the football game on TV, seeing 108,000 people just cheering. It was so nice. It brought back a lot of memories. And you really miss the fans when they're not in the arena. And so uh, I'm just hoping that uh, they pack Little Caesars Arena and we can have fans in the stands and it'll be exciting for everybody. Yeah, that that was because I watched the Michigan game, Washington as well. And watching the maze out, I'm like, oh, this is cool. And then there was a part of me, it's like, is this still okay? Is this something we can still do nowadays? But it is a good sign to get back to normal. Ken, what is what is one of the rinks that you missed? Uh, I've talked to a lot of guys around the league. They each have like their own favorite road barn. Even some of the AHL broadcasters, you know, I talked with Todd Crocker a couple of years ago and I asked him, what's one of his favorite rinks to go to? And for some reason, he felt like being nice to me and said Grand Rapids. I mean, Van Andel's pretty nice, I'd say. Yeah. But what is one of the rinks that you really missed not going to last season? I always liked Chicago. I always thought that the crowd there was terrific. Of course, the Chicago fans dislike the Red Wing fans, so there's always some banter if there's Red Wing fans in the crowd there. But just the noise level there and the excitement and the national anthem, it's always fun to do a game in Chicago. Uh, Madison Square Garden used to be, before the renovation, one of the worst places to call a game because you were way, way far back in the crowd and, and uh, kind of in a corner. And there were parts of the ice that you couldn't see. So, uh, but once they renovated it, to me, it's one of the best locations along with Little Caesars Arena. You're close to the action. You're you're up. You're high up, but you're like overlooking the ice. That's always a good place to go. I, I guess every arena has their own different sight lines, and and um, you know, you go out west, it's a little bit different. You go to Western Canada, it's a little different. But there's special nuances, but uh, I guess if you ask me for a favorite, Chicago would be the one. You you mentioned Madison Square Garden and their sight lines, and I still remember um, listening to guys like Joe Bowen. Some guys said that the the old Nassau, the Coliseum, was kind of rough. Was that? I mean, obviously they're going to a new arena this year near Bingham uh, near uh, Belmont Park, which is exciting. Hope that you get to go out there, Ken. But was Nassau kind of that bad sight line as well? At least that's what I was told. You know what? To be honest with you, I like calling games there because it was like an old arena. It was like an old, smaller arena, kind of like the Shark Tank in, oh, in yeah. San Jose. And you were you were close to the action. You were like, uh, I don't know if any one of your listeners ever been to the Olympia, uh, where you, if you sat in the mezzanine, you were right on top of the plate. That's how it was at Nassau Coliseum. Uh, the only problem is, is you didn't have a lot of space to do your work. In other words, everything was was cramped. So you had me and Paul and an engineer and we're all packed together. So you couldn't move around. You didn't have really a place to put your notes. Um, so that kind of presented a problem if you had to look something up. But as far as calling the game, you were really on top of the action. So it was a really cool place to call a game. I've been doing high school football for the first time this year. I, I know exactly how you feel. I have used more hockey tape putting notes on walls in press boxes. And I'd be like looking around like, and there's a tackle by number 32. <laughs> but that that's what makes like those reunions fun. And I'm excited to see what it looks like there. I was telling the folks before, excited what the Islanders are going to be like. I hope it has the same atmosphere because Nassau, at least especially that last year in the playoff run and and you know what it's like, Ken. I mean, the Joe was always in, in the late 90s, early 2000s, how loud that place could get. Nassau kind of had that same thing, too. Yeah, it really did. And it had a lot of history with it, too, with the Islanders winning four straight Stanley Cups. Uh, they won, what, 19 consecutive playoff rounds. That's yeah. a record that I don't think will ever be broken in today's world and in hockey. And they had some really good teams back then. But then again, back when, when they were winning, this was in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, you know, they had smaller buildings. The, the Spectrum in Philadelphia was kind of a similar building where it wasn't very high. It was small. 
the broadcast. I only did one game at the old Spectrum, and again, you were kind of on top of the action there. Um, but now, you know, the newer rinks are are really big. You, you talk to Jack Michaels, and and Edmonton has to be one of the worst places to call it, <laughs> just because for visiting radio, we're as high up as you can get, and so far back, it's almost impossible to to see who's on the ice. I mean you really have to be focused and you really have to concentrate because, you know, if you blink an eye, you're going to miss a player. You're going to miss a number. And those orange oiler uniforms with the oh. blue numbers, they, they don't help either. So, uh, you know, he's got a better location calling on TV. You know, they always put the home guys a little bit closer to the action. Of course. For us on the road, it's a beautiful arena, but I wish they would have talked to the radio broadcasters because we are way, way up and back. And it's really difficult at times to call a game there. You're almost like calling a football game almost. You're that high up from what it makes it sound like. I mean, and it's funny because I talk to people and they always ask me, especially I I remember uh, one time Buddy Harrison Watt tweeted at Dan Miller of the Detroit Lions said he should call hockey and Dan Miller said I could never keep up with it. And it's a different sport, obviously. But I always tell people if you're that far up or that high up, how do you notice what players are? I'm like, are you, do you find a way to notice players without seeing their numbers obviously when you call the wings 82 times a year it can kind of get pretty easy to tell which player is which do you ever find like a rhythm or a pattern to try to distinguish certain players you talk about edmonton connor mcdavid for example like distinguish them from others so you don't even need to see their number when they're on the ice well uh you know certain players used to tape their uh, tape their socks in a, oh. in a different way and that was <clears throat> that was one area like i remember when gretzky played with uh, the rangers he and Peter Nedved, who played together, looked the same. They looked identical. They both had their sweater hanging out and behind, and they both kind of looked the same with the helmet and everything. But the only difference that I noticed was that they taped their socks different, and that's wow. how I knew who Gretzky was and who Nedved was. But, you know, you rely basically on the numbers and the names, and, and um, you know, you know who shoots right, who shoots left, and that kind of helps you out if you're in a little bit of a pinch. Uh, um, but, you know, just going back to broadcast games from far away, like I said, I never never did a game until last year calling games off a of TV too. But when we did those outdoor games, we were we were way back. That game we did at Michigan in the Winter Classic, we were up in the football press box all the way up where the lights are. And so I called the entire game, every outdoor game I call with binoculars. And, uh, you know, you have to get used to keeping your arms up and calling the play with your binoculars, you know, and it was funny because the binoculars only give you a, a certain range of vision, right? So, right. You know, so I remember saying, and here come the wings down the ice on a two-on-one, and really it was a three-on-one, but I just couldn't see the other player because it was outside the vision of the binoculars. Well, they're so, listening to radio. They don't know. They, they believe you but, can. But you know what? You know what? If you're listening to the radio, they don't know. They don't know the situation that you're in. They don't know how far back you are. They don't know if you're calling. They just expect you to call the game like you normally call. So it's up to us, and it's our responsibility to make sure if you need binoculars, you use binoculars. Just you know, get the call right and be on your way. I'm sure my dad listening to the game wanted you to say, and Howard stops Bozak, and then the Wings would go down and score. He would have been very happy on that. Lovely snowy day at, in Ann Arbor on, on January 1st. That was beautiful, by the way. That was one of the best outdoor games because of the snow. Took took me like eight hours to get from Ann Arbor back home after oh, the man. game. But but it was it was really a fun game to broadcast with all the uh, snow and the fans and 100,000 people. It was great. 
message, I would have been like, uh, Frank Beckman, how did you do this for so many years Send. That's what I would have done before that game. Uh, of course, Jim Brandstatter as well, who is going to be retiring after this year after being on the broadcast for 40 years for Michigan football. Uh, let's jump to this year's team, to, uh, Ken. It's, I, I look at this roster, and last year I said it a little bit as well. I'm like, you know what? They're going to be a little bit better this year, Detroit. I think it's going to be interesting. They'll have, you know, the kids are a little bit older. But this year I say to myself, this is a team, and I talked with Thomas Biondo last week about this on the show. This is a team that could be pushing 500 this year, Ken. I look, I mean, you obviously bring in Adelkovich. That's a huge get for your goaltending. You have him and Grice back there. You know, Larkin continues to mature. You have you have your veteran guys like Mark Stahl and a few others. This is a Red Wings team that, even though they're in that very tough Atlantic division again, they could be a team that you can't take lightly on a nightly basis. Well, you're right about that, Tyler. And the other thing, too, that maybe the Red Wings have an advantage on is you look at the Tampa Bay Lightning. They played a lot of hockey. They just ended their season a month and a half ago. And now they're back into it again. They've won two Stanley Cups. You know, they've, they've played their share of hockey. And that's what I remember when the Red Wings, after 97, 98, going into that 99 season, it was like you really had no time off. You, you, you're you just going in one month after the other. Next thing you know, it's another season. And those guys have played a lot of hockey. So maybe maybe the Red Wings can take advantage of that. But as far as the team going into the future or into the season, I really think that they're better defensively. I'm really looking forward to Mo Sider. I believe he's going to make the team. Uh, I liked um, what Mark Stahl did last year as a veteran presence back there on the blue line. I think Philip Ronick is certainly coming of age and he's getting better and better and logging more ice time and getting more responsibility. Nadelkovich should help this Red Wing team. A little bit surprised at how we acquired him. I, I still can't figure out why Carolina would want to let him go unless they know something we don't, but we'll find out. Neither does Iserman. Yeah, Thomas Grice was good last year in goal. I, I just don't think that the Red Wings gave him a lot of goal support. You know, he, he really battled hard. So, uh, again, offensively, I, I just hope this team gets better. And, and I think if they're better defensively, they'll be in a lot of close games. But somehow that power play is going to have to get better. Uh, they hired Alex Tangay now, who'll be handling that power play as a power play coach, and maybe he has a few creative ideas that he can instill in the players. But, you know, the Wings had their issues last year with the power play. Their penalty kill got better late in the season. But, again, they have they have to find a way to put the puck in the net, and that's going to be the biggest challenge. And if they can find a way to do that, then I think they'll be okay. Yeah, and they, they brought in, obviously, the trade that sent Anthony Mantha to Washington. They get Jakob Vrana in return, who didn't do too bad. He had 11 points in 11 games with Detroit. You bring in Pew Suter, who had a pretty good year on a Chicago Blackhawks team that was hanging around the playoff pitcher for a while there in that in that central division. Robbie Fabry, I think, still has some jump, if you're personally asking me. I still think Zadina can find that other gear. And you bring in a guy, you still have a guy like Sam Gagne there, who maybe it's because I'm a London Knights fan. I still have, always have high hopes for a guy like him. But this is a team that is slowly developing into a team that can score goals. And like you mentioned, this is a, a division that has Tampa, Boston, even though their goaltending situation is a little funky, Toronto, Montreal, like you're going to have to outscore some teams in some games. And, and that takes time because, and you can probably remember this too, when their current general manager, Mr. Eisman was playing, if Eisman didn't score, the wings didn't win for a few years. Oh, did we lose Ken? Oh, oh, there you are. No, but as I was saying, Ken, I'm sorry. I was saying how this team, they got to find a way to score some goals and they need guys scoring like, 
like Larkin and Suter, especially in this division where you're going to have to score a lot of goals. Well, you're right about that. And uh, again, I, I hope that Dylan Larkin and Tyler Bertuzzi are going to come back completely healthy. Uh, Bertuzzi missed almost the entire year last year. And without playing a year of hockey, how long is it going to take him to, to come back? That's a question mark. Uh, Larkin was was hurt pretty bad at the end of the year last year, and he had to be, he had to recover and train over the course of the summer. How is he going to come back? I, I don't think he had one of his best years last year, and I know he's eager to get back and and uh, make things better. But again, somehow they need to have balanced scoring. And I've always said this that when when your third line and fourth line can can get goals, it really takes the pressure off your top two lines. Because if you're asking your, your top line to do it every single night, it's not going to happen. So what the Red Wings need is they need a little more depth in the uh, third and fourth lines. And maybe that's where guys like Stevens comes in. He was a guy that, um, you know, that, that came from Tampa Bay. And, you know, there's no more Luke Glenn Denning. So maybe he has uh, an offensive uh, uh, flow to his game. And Adam Ernie, I thought, was terrific last year. You know, nobody expected him to score, what, 11, 12 goals, whatever he did. And yeah. And, uh, you know, he found a way to put the puck in the net. He goes hard for the net. So they can get some balance in their scoring. I think things will be a little bit better. But a guy like Michael Rasmussen, who I thought really came on in the last couple months of the season, he was always a power play specialist when he played junior hockey. And that ha that needs to translate into the National Hockey League. The guy's big. He's strong. Uh, he has a good reach. He can get in front of the net. And he's continuing to grow in that big body. But somehow he has to find a way to put the puck in the net, especially on the power play. And if he can do that, that's just going to help the Red Wings a little more. Yeah, and I, I remember watching him in Grand Rapids. I said to myself, I'm like, he has something here. If, if he gets the right amount of minutes, plays the right guys, he could be a, a big-time player for Detroit when he got called up. And, Ken, before we let you go here, we, we talked a little bit about the last couple of weeks about the Olympics coming back, at least the NHL going back to the Olympics, which I think is – is great for the game. It means NBC still gets to broadcast hockey at least for a little bit longer. Ken, first of all, what is your you know your thoughts and like how happy are you that the Olympics are coming back to the NHL? Because if anything, you get a couple weeks off, right? <laughs> yeah, but then we have to make it up in the end of or end of April. Right? That's so that's right. Instead of being done April 9th, you know, if if you don't go to the playoffs, now you're done April thirtieth. But um, no, I, I'm really excited about the about the Olympics, and I think. Just talking with the players, they all want to represent their country. That's what it's all about. And I think, especially with the European players uh, and people from Sweden and Finland, uh, you know, the, the international world championships are what they know. You know, I mean, here in North America, it's the Stanley Cup playoffs, right? That's what you play for. But if you talk to all the international players, they they want to represent their country. I think people here in North America want to represent their country as well. So I think it was a great idea. I think. I think it was a give and take with the Players Association and, um, you know, the league. They had to come up with some type of an agreement where it'd be beneficial to both parties. It couldn't be one-sided. So I'm glad that, uh, you know, players will represent their country. They will go over there and compete in the Olympics. And it's always fun to watch and, uh, you know, always good to see some of the players on your team playing for different teams in the Olympics. Yeah, and and despite and well, some people are saying, oh, the Red Wings aren't going to be that good this year. I still think, like I said, they're going to be a team that's going to be hanging around there for a little bit. But there's a few players on this hockey club that could be playing in the Olympics now. A lot of people like to look back at the particular there is the picture in of 2002 of Shanahan and Iserman on one side with their gold medals, and then Hall and Chelios on the other with their silvers. 
uh, in that gold medal final. 06 was famous because there were, what, five Swedes on that 06 gold medal winning team, Ken, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, and so so the Red Wings are always seemingly have a good presence in the Olympics. And this year I don't think is any different, especially the Czechs, because I, st- I mean, I think if if the first half of the season, first couple months go right, there's a good chance you could see Philip Zadina, Philip Ronick, and Jakob Vrana all represented for the Czech Republic. If you're not, if I mean, maybe I'm wrong here, Ken. Well, you're right about that, and uh, you know, I don't know how how deep their team is for the Czech Republic, but obviously those are three good players that could help their club. You know, then you look at um, you know Dylan Larkin. Is he a player that you know maybe Team USA would like to have on their club and? And, um, you know, so, so we'll just have to wait and see how the Red Wings would be represented in the Olympics. But, you know, the days you mentioned all those big names in the past, uh, those were some really glory days for the Red Wings. And in that 2002 team, they had so many superstars in their club. And you think of all the greats that represented their team in the Olympics, like the Swedes with, you know, Lidstrom and Cronwall and Holmstrom. And, you know, the list goes on and on. Iserman with uh, Team Canada and, you know, Chelios, Team USA, so Brett Hall, Team USA. So, you know, it, it's just amazing the talent that the Red Wings had in years gone by before the salary cap. Now things have changed a little bit. But, again, I, I think that there could be some Red Wings that will participate in the upcoming Olympics. It, it'll certainly be fun to watch. I'm going to be excited for it, even if it's, you know, games are at 4 o'clock in the morning. I stayed up for these Olympics this past year. I think I can do it again in Beijing because I tell you. You can always DVR them, right? I, I can DVR, but unfortunately, this thing called Twitter, Ken, keeps getting in the way and spoils it all the fun for me. That's the problem. Don't look, don't look at your phone. That's the thing. I, I I still remember telling people I stayed up. I was up at one o'clock in the morning watching the U.S.-Canada women's game in Pyeongchang. I will I will rest, I'll risk my sleep schedule for that. Ken, there it is go. it has been a blast having you on once again. I appreciate you taking the time today. I know it's getting starting to get ramped up a little bit, but first I've got to probably ask you: Are you uh, you're calling the games for the prospects tournament this weekend? Yep, uh, leaving for Traverse City on Wednesday. Our first game is uh, on uh, Thursday. We play Dallas on Thursday. Their prospects. Friday, I think we play St. Louis. No, Saturday we play St. Louis. Sunday we play Columbus. So um, the games are seven o'clock or I think the Sunday games at six o'clock, but yeah, we're all excited. I want to, I really want to see Sebastian Cosa, the goaltender for oh, Detroit. Yeah. You know, I, I like, I like his competitive style. His record with Edmonton last year in uh, the, the WHL was uh, w, uh, Western yeah. hockey league uh, was like 17, one and one He had a really good uh, save percentage. I'm looking forward to seeing him I'm looking forward to see Lucas Raymond and Bergren compete uh, those are two guys that I think the Red Wings are crossing their fingers and hoping that maybe they can win a job on this club this season. If not, they'll get some playing time in Grand Rapids so the Grand Rapids Griffins fans can can watch their development. But, yeah, I'm really hoping that the Red Wings get a bonus and maybe one or maybe even both of those players are going to be a big part of this Red Wing team. Most, you mentioned most cider, man. I, I, I'm not saying Germany's weak, but he could be a guy that could be an Olympic player. Yeah. But you mentioned exactly. Kosa. You mentioned Kosa. He's probably one of the few goaltenders last year that actually stopped Connor Bedard, which not many goaltenders did last year. <laughs> We've been talking with Ken Cal here on the Kula Show on this Monday afternoon special. Thanks to Ken once again. Follow him, guys, at Ken Cal DRW. He'll, he'll be probably giving us all the cool pictures and lineups from this upcoming prospects tournament training camp as well right after that then the nhl season ken it's a good time to be alive right 
certainly is. And again, for those people that uh, want to see the Red Wings prospects, they can go to the Detroit Red Wings website and uh, the games will be live streamed from Traverse City. So um, again, that, that'll be Thursday at seven o'clock, uh, Saturday at seven o'clock and Sunday at six o'clock. So I uh, hope all, everyone can tune in and watch your future Red Wings play in a very good tournament. We always look forward to that tournament, prospects tournament in Traverse City. Yeah, I, I told my wife, like, we didn't have this wedding this weekend. We'd go up to Traverse City for the weekend, go watch some hockey possibly, because I know a couple of my friends are going up there from Access Hockey MI. They have a good time. Ken, thanks again. That is it for this week's episode, folks, of the QL Show. Thank you all once again. Thank you to Ken. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be back next Monday night. After I go see Michael Buble, we will have our usual 6 o'clock shows. Thank you all once again. We'll see you next time here on the QL Show. <laughs>